Hey, good day, guys, and welcome to episode 12 of Talking to Trailblazers with Jack Corbett in association with Business News Australia. Today, I am wrapped to be able to have an opportunity to speak to somebody from a completely different entrepreneurial journey. We've got the fortunate opportunity to be speaking to the Gold Coast Young Entrepreneur of the Year in the social category. Somebody who is running a not-for-profit organization that is disrupting the way traditional business works and giving people from all walks of life an opportunity to be able to access the employment opportunities and services that they need to create themselves the very best life they can. Today, we've got the luxury of having Miss Amelia Gao. Amelia, how are you doing this morning? Well, thank you, Jack. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. No, thank you. Also, I've been um, I've been looking forward to, to, to this conversation. Generally, I prepare about five to seven questions, and I tend to let the conversation flow pretty organically from there. But with you, I actually have a list of 19 things that I would like to ask you. So whether <laughs> whether we'll get through them all or not in the half an hour we've got, we'll see how we go. But um, can I ask you just in general, Amelia, Obviously, very unique times. Um, you know, the world has been between the February of 2020 and um, the September of 2020, as I'm talking to you today. We've obviously had some adversity to face, but how are you doing in yourself from a, from a sort of mental health perspective? Are you keeping busy and keeping well? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when it all started, um, what was interesting about our business is we actually were affected by the bushfires. So we've been going through adversity since November. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do remember when COVID hit, you know, I did have a bit of a, oh, crap, I really don't want to go through this again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it took a few weeks, but um, now we're we're just kicking goals and, um, you know, I'm really excited. We're going to do some amazing things this year and um, I've turned it into an absolute win and I'm, I'm actually loving it. I'm loving spending time at home and being reconnected with, you know, the things that are more important sometimes. Yeah, I'd say it's a, co- a common theme, right? Like, as I mentioned at the start, this is episode 12 of our series. And I would say almost exclusively every person before you has enjoyed their new working environment. Um, I think it would be probably fair to assume that the new business world that we will enter off the back of this will probably involve far less commuting into a CBD of a capital city, wearing a specific outfit, working between a specific eight-hour allocated time frame to which you can apply yourself to your work. Absolutely. Okay. I think this is yeah. going to really, really disrupt what business looks like, and I think for the better. Yeah, like for me, Amelia, I'm most productive between the hours of 4.30 and 7.30 in the morning. I think that's my most productive time of the day. But what about you? When would you think that you're most productive and potentially least distracted? I'm definitely a morning person as well. So I, I like to be up in, you know, early fives and at work by sort of quarter to six. Um, I like to finish work a little bit earlier in the afternoon so I can be home with my family and, you know, watch yes. the sunset and just enjoy some quiet time and a nice glass of wine. Um, mm-hmm. But definitely the morning before it all starts kicking off and the world wakes up, it, it's absolutely where I'm more creative and more excited. Afternoon, yes. it is, it's um, time to go home in the afternoon. <laughs> For sure. I think like a lot of things, a bit like your internet at the prime times, I just find like the creative, energetic airwaves get congested um, when everybody's awake. You know, sometimes I just I definitely feel I have the most clarity um, when I am undisturbed first thing in the morning when I know most people are still catching Zs, you know. Instead, but I want to ask you a question because you mentioned you've been facing adversity since November with the bushfires, right? Do you believe we're a generation of people that are very much out of sight, out of mind? 
because in January, bushfires was the number one most discussed topic on social media, on the news channels, at the pub, at the barbershop, you know, things of that nature. Whereas I don't believe, with the exception of you just raising that, I have heard those two words together, bushfire, in at least five or, five or six months. I think you're right, out of sight, out of mind. I mean, you know, the news cycle repeats every, you know, 24 hours. So we are we are quick to move on, but we are also quick to adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other thing is that we are not living in bushfire-affected zones. So, you know, I'm guessing for a lot of people down south, they are still living it um, and dealing with it. But, yeah, we, we're very quick to deal with the next drama. It's next problem, next move on, and, and off we go. So... Yeah, when, when I do talk to people about this year, this year started for me in November and it's yeah. still going. Yeah, it's a, um, I mean, put that back into your context of your business, right? Whether that be, um, you know, people that have got substance, drug or alcohol uh, abuse problems, whether they've had um, some physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial abuse throughout their childhood, teenage years, you know, marriages, partnerships, whether it's homelessness, whether it's, um, you know, uh, star- almost starvation, but youth hunger. Um, things of this nature it's all well and good doing a telethon once a year or having a red nose day or having the daniel morecambe day for children's safety like that's great don't get me wrong please don't in any way shape or thing think i'm discrediting those efforts but one day a year in my opinion is not enough it's not enough for homelessness to be important on Wednesday, the 12th of September. You know, homelessness needs to be important 365 days of the year. So if we are an out of signed, out of mind generation, how do we keep this insight, therefore keeping it in mind? Well, I think that's a really, really cool question. Um, my philosophy is really simple. You have two hands, one to feed yourself and one to feed others. The thing with people is that we're all very quick to stand on our soapbox saying that we should be supporting, you know, every single problem. The thing is you need to pick what is important to you and, and just go hell for leather with that. I was actually having a meeting the other week and we were talking about Christmas, how mm-hmm. at Christmas time you cannot volunteer Um, nobody wants you, there's no food donations, and everyone sits there and goes, well, doesn't the homeless situation happen at Christmas as well? And I said, it absolutely does. But everybody that one time of year is getting on the bandwagon and that's their one day to do something. So there's an oversupply of volunteers and food and donations and things at that time. Um, So I think the important thing is just to pick Pick what is important to you, um, you know, pick that social conscious that is, is gets, gets your heart muscle going and do something for that every year, whether it's simply, you know, um, donating money anonymously, you know, $5 a week or whatever it is, doing something to actually give back to that one cause. You know, we can't all help everybody. We can't help the starving kids in Africa while dealing with our homeless issues, while dealing with our youth justice problems. We can't Mm -hmm. do everything to everyone. So I think it's really important to just sort of pick what's important to you and and just do what you can. I think that's such an amazing piece of information because I would say to you, I'm probably guilty of being the former, right? That I, yes, I support a range of different causes, but I support all of them on what I would consider to be a small scale, what I would consider a minimal impact contribution. Not that they're not grateful for it, and lots of small contributions make a big contribution, right? But what I'm hearing from you is sometimes pick your battle. You're not going to solve 
you know, global warming, while solving, you know, youth starvation, while sol- solving mass unemployment, while, sol- you know, pick your fight and fight your best fight Correct. inside that cause as well. And that cause can change on a six month, 12 month, two year, five year basis. But in essence, for that, for that one day, one week or one month that you are committed to fighting a cause, give that cause your entire focus or energy. Absolutely. And, you know, some people don't necessarily look at, they look at maybe the problem and then, but not the cause. So our big thing is education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that old saying, feed, uh, give, a, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, but teach a man mm-hmm. to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. So our cause yeah. is education. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that can cross over a whole bunch of different cohort and people that are struggling. But that is the cause. Let's educate people to live a better life wherever they have come from. Let's, you know, every time I travel overseas and go to Vietnam, which is one of my favourite countries in the world, I go and um, work in animal refuges, but not to help the animals, but to educate people that there's a better way to treat animals. So my cause is always the same. It's always education. I'm just very blessed that it can go over numerous different outlets. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a um, very interesting thing, right? Because I think that sometimes, and, the, and this comes back to this idea of systemic oppression, that the lowest socioeconomic groups are not being, are having no platform to educate themselves out of poverty. Right. And we'll, nev- we'll never know the things that we don't know. So if, you know, I think it might have been Einstein that said to us the definition of insanity was to do the same thing every day but expect a different result. And yet we're implementing an education system that has had fundamentally no changes in the public sector since the mid-1840s. Mm-hmm. And yet we're now in a world that in 1840, nearly 60% of this country was employed in manual labor. You know, they worked on farms or in factories predominantly. Correct. Um, That's what the education system was built for, to, to but, create those kind of process line workers. But if I'm a, a housing commission kid, which I am, I, I grew up on a housing commission um, just in the southwest of Birmingham in the UK, and how do I learn about cryptocurrency, robotics, augmented reality, artificial intelligence? How do I become an engineer, <laughs> software, de- software developer? Like, how do I do that? Because... You know, you. I genuinely believe you can learn your way out of poverty. You can educate yourself out of almost any situation, certainly a financial situation. So, I think you and I share some some similarities in the sense that um, I I believe you also came from a a more adverse, lower socioeconomic background. Then, on top of that, like me, you made some buck average decisions um, as well that ultimately led you into a position that should should suggest you should not be having this conversation with me today. So um, I was extremely proud when I presented you that award um, last year as the Social Entrepreneur of the Year. I'd, I'd won that exact same award as you two years prior um, for having set up a business as well that was helping the most disadvantaged 18 to 24-year-olds on the Golden Tweed Coast get into learning programs or into meaningful and gainful employment. Beautiful. So very, very, very similar. But talk us through, Amelia, I mean, obviously throughout this, people have learned a lot about me, but let's let's find out a little bit about you. Take me back to the very beginning. Who is <laughs> Amelia Gow? What sort of ethnicity, family structure? Where was she born? And how does her journey take her through some of the darkest moments um, where I'm sure you, you had 
times where you just question giving up, not only on your goals, but on life, you know? Yeah. Um, talk me through that. Talk, talk me through your journey from the very beginning to, to where you are where you are today for me. Cool. Um, well, it was quite funny. I'm actually from Melbourne, so I grew up in Victoria, um, and I'm the daughter of quite successful entrepreneurs. And, you know, they worked very hard to provide and we, we never wanted for anything. So when you look at where I came from, I actually came from a good family. Mm -hmm. I came from a lot of support, um, you know, the best schools, the best whatever whatever you wanted, we had it. Um, my wow. parents were really good with that. Um, but what happened is, you know, at some point along the line, I started telling myself that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't worthy and that I'll never live up to anything of importance. So at a very young age, sort of about 14, I started acting out that story, um, you know, and finding short-term gratification in ways that you shouldn't, you know what I mean? Like I, I needed to find love within myself, but instead I was going out and partying and taking drugs and being that kind of, you know, fun person that everyone wants to be around, but it's incredibly superficial. Mm -hmm. So after the age of sort of 14, 15, 16, um, I was kicked out of my second school. I was um, very heavily using drugs. My mum had absolutely lost control, but in a sense she, she did a really wonderful thing. She set a lot of boundaries, you know, really simply, you want to take drugs and not work or not go to school, you don't live at my house. So being the arrogant teenager I was, I was like, I'm out of here. So um, I was out of home probably just before my 16th birthday, so... Out of home, out of school, no job. Um, I was lucky enough, I think, at that point to get Centrelink. So whilst I was on out of home, you're also taking drugs and you're meeting people that you shouldn't, like 16-year-olds should not know what it's like to be out in the world, to not have somewhere to sleep. And just to make all the wrong decisions is, is everything that I did. Um, I just continuously perpetuated this story of worthlessness and I watched how incredibly quickly the person that I was just disappeared mm. and I just became this person that, you know, it was scary. Um, I, I was afraid of myself and my family was absolutely afraid of who I'd turned into um, mm. but I, was, I needed to go on that journey. So I went on that journey for quite a few years mm -hmm. um, and I, can, I, can I ask you what sort of age you were when you started to grow old and tired of that lifestyle and started to realize it wasn't serving you? And then also, can I ask, in what I would often call the trough, and I hope people can understand what I'm talking about, you could call yeah. it um, the pit. It's that moment where you think nothing could get worse than this, yeah. you know? I've lost all my friends, I've lost all my family, I've lost all my money, I've lost all my self-respect, um, whatever it might be, you know, that moment. Can I ask, on top of, of my initial question, which was what age did you start to show the, the you know, the turn, um, but also were there any specific techniques used? I'll share one that was for myself, but any specific techniques that you used to start the, you know, the, the tide turning and start that momentum moving back towards a more meaningful life? Yeah, of course. So my moment came, I think I was about 23, so nearly 10 years of, of living not a great life. Mm -hmm. um, someone I knew who was a, a serious addict um, actually took me hostage yeah. and he held me captive for, you know, I think it was about nine days in total and he just beat the living hell out of me. Um, 
it was it was one of those moments where I, I thought I was going to die and I also wanted to. It was yeah. he's going to kill me because I'm going to kill myself out on the streets anyway. So um, I was very blessed to get my, my wits about me, at, you know, halfway through it and start using that wonderful thing that we have called manipulation to get out of that situation. Yeah. Uh, and I remember finally being released and I, and I stood in the sun out in front of the um, apartment that he held me at and I just said to myself, and this is the minute that I just got it, I actually said, good one, Amelia, look at what you've done to yourself. Mm-hmm. And that was the time that I realised that I am absolutely in control of this, that whilst nobody deserves to be beaten or anything like that, but some, some of the decisions that I had made led me to that situation. If I had stayed in school and listened to my mum and and all this sort of stuff, would I have been there? But I couldn't go back to change it. So all I could start doing from that point was taking accountability. And that's when it all changed. The minute that I rang my family and said, "I, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to make a, a change, they all stood behind me. You often realise that you... You victimise yourself and you say, everybody's against me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. But the second that you actually decide, no, I'm going to go back to being someone who can be loved, not only because I, have, I create room and space and capacity to accept love, you realise all those people that had turned on you had your back the entire time. They just Absolutely. couldn't have someone's back who didn't have a back to have. Do you know, like you didn't, you, you can't force somebody into wanting your support. You just can't. And sometimes, especially with drugs, they're so much more powerful, right, than the human being um, and then the human mind most of the time. So I think accountability, for me, it's the number one. People say, what are the number one attributes you look for in a staff member? That's the number one thing I'm looking for in an interview is I'm going to ask questions that create an opportunity for you to offset or defer the liability or the outcome of a situation to a third party or to an external reason or I'm going to see whether you internalize that reason. Do you say the reason I am where I am today are because of the decisions that I made? Yeah. Now, flipping it on, on its head, first of all, I need to apologize because, again, we become the stories that we tell ourselves. Yeah. So as human beings, we become a product of the stories that we tell ourselves. Correct. And I tell myself a stupid story that only poor kids from housing commission get caught up in drugs homelessness, <laughs> violence, and all of this. And I have to apologize to you from the off because looking at your story, I just assumed that you had come from a really rough housing commission with low opportunities and a bad mindset and yep. maybe, you know, unsuccessful, uneducated parents like I have. And I don't mean that rude to my parents. It's just, it's a fact. It is what it is. Yep. But I had wrongly assumed that purely because I thought, well, how could anybody from a good upbringing with good parents that sent them to good schools ever end up in that position so my apologies to you firstly and then also a big wake-up call to myself too stop trying to pigeonhole yourself and just because of where your life starts in many circumstances has a limited amount of influence on the capacity you have to take it in a different direction thereafter correct yeah Yeah. love it let me ask you this question then if you had not have been and, and I know this sounds really harsh when I use the words like this, but had you have not been a homeless drug addict, would you ever be the young entrepreneur of the year that you are today? Do you believe you needed that journey 
to create the skills and resources you have to impact and change the lives positively of thousands of people today. Absolutely. And that's the minute that it's sort of all, you know, when we live in trauma, we live in this space. And it took me a while to get, you know, well, it took me a good sort of two years to get fully you know, better and, and on track and, and, you know, healthy. And, you know, I remember doing some work with my mentors and, and, and it's about seeing the other side of it. What we do in these situations, we sit there and go, okay, I was I was tortured, I'm this, you know, and, and we play this victim. But what actually happened, you know, if he didn't do what he did to me, I would probably still be an addict. So mm-hmm. I owe a lot to that situation. I would never thank mm-hmm. him to my face, don't. Don't get me wrong. No, but, no, no I, but I understand that. It is the absolute reason that I do what I do. The The simple fact is there's so many people out there living with this sense of worthlessness and mm-hmm. it gets them into these situations and all people need is for someone to stand by them and go, I got you. Like you're whole, complete and perfect and your past absolutely never dictates your future. You, yeah, yeah. But you have to stand up and admit it. The minute that I said I'm a drug addict, I'm all this, is the minute that it stopped being important to me. It's the minute yeah. that other people stopped judging me for it as well because, yeah. you know, it is it is what it is and I can't and I'm very, very grateful for it. The reason why we are where we are today in my life is absolutely because I went through that. Yes. It's the old, um, I can't remember the, the quote word for word, but it's the old Mandela quote where he talks about your, your deepest fear is not that you are, an, are inadequate. Your deepest fear is that you are powerful beyond measure. Yeah. And he talks about and when you can liberate yourself from your own fear, your presence by default liberates others. And I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't remember word for word that exact quote. Um, it's actually in the Coach Carter movie is where I first heard it. But, <laughs> um, I think there's a couple of sentences in that that are so relative to your story, right? That until you liberated yourself from your own fears, you would never have had the capacity to assist others to do the same. Um, this morning I, I went to the driving range and the, and the gym this morning and um, I went with a friend of mine uh, Michael Gelatley he um, is one of the heads of Lives Lived Well and he heads up the Mirakai Drug and Alcohol Rehabilitation Centre in Burley no. um, on the Gold Coast and he was somebody who had come from that world nearly 10 years of, of using intravenously to now being the individual and I think sometimes when you've been there done it and you're wearing the t-shirt it's much easier for people to trust you and believe you that they can change and that they can improve and that they can move forward with their lives. It's very hard for a, you know, a middle-aged, upper-middle-class person, (laughs) you know, who has never faced a moment of adversity in their life to turn around to this person who's living on the streets and using drugs and say, you're going to be okay, Trevor. (laughs) You know, we we can get through this, you know, so... Um, That's the yeah, big I thing I tell my kids, you know, well, I call them my kids and my students, that if I walked in with a master's degree and, and no lived experience, they, they would not l- listen to me. You know, wow. it's, it's the fact that we've been there and that we can be an example to people is, is one of the most important things that we have to offer. And yes. I just want to go back to that part about um, what you're talking about with the Coach Carter quote, the Mandela quote, is um, one thing I teach everyone is that, you know, a lot of people sit there and go, one of their biggest fears is failure. Mm-hmm. The simple fact is we're not afraid of failing because if we try something and it doesn't work, we just end up where we are. You know, if yeah. I tried something and I ended up back on the streets, then I'm fine there. I'm good there. Mm-hmm. I know how to live and navigate that space. Mm-hmm. What we're afraid of is succeeding and having to tell ourselves that we're good enough. 
We are mm-hmm. so afraid of telling ourselves how good we are and how worthy we are that we would much rather sit in a place of failure. And that's what I find with 99% of the people that I work with. Imagine if it worked and you have to tell yourself that you did this, that you're good yeah. enough. Failure is a safe place because it's a default It's a default position, right? The idea that you would actually try something and give it every single ounce of your energy, you know, and then at the end of it, like you've said, sometimes the worst case scenario is, yeah, but what if it ends up actually working? Mm. What, if, what if I do it and then it works? Fuck, my whole life's going to change. Yep. So my, my fear is not actually at the failure because in most circumstances, failure in almost every human action, the worst case scenario will leave you in the position you started the action. Correct. But m- most human actions will not move you backwards. So if my worst case scenario is already the one I'm in, then absolutely my fear is not a failure because that failure is a return to the original state. My fear is if this goes well, my entire world's going to have to change because of it. Absolutely. You know? my, my wife caught me cooking, right? So I, I convinced my wife for the first four years. We've been together nearly 10 years. I convinced her for the first four years that I didn't know how to cook. That's not strictly the truth. I wouldn't say I'm, you know, I'm not Gordon Ramsay, but I, I can knock a half-decent meal together. She, she caught me cooking myself a lunch. Right. So all of a sudden now my life has changed. She's like, no, you know how to do that. I'm not going to continue to hold your hand to do the things you know already know how to do. <laughs> so again, yeah, the, the, my fear, what I should have done is made a horrible meal and I could have got my free pass forever. <laughs> you know, but, um, but sometimes I'm pretty sure my partner did that. I think one of the first meals he cooked us was awful, and I was like, "No, no, I've got this." No. Yeah, yeah, you're you're banned from in there. Really. <laughs> you you did briefly say to me at the very start of this, we have some amazing things coming up, or some yeah. exciting things coming up in the next twelve months. Can you shed some light on that for me? Yeah, of course. Um, so, well, part of the the COVID journey, I, I did some work with my mentors, and they did this really cool webinar where it was how to turn chaos into an opportunity. And it was just something that I really needed at that particular point. Like I said, we've come off the bushfires and then this, it was just like a relentless struggle. Um, So what I did over the last, you know, when all this started happening in March and April, I I stepped back and I looked at this as, you know, imagine being able to slow down and stop for a minute and redesign and recreate and reinvent your business with all of the knowledge, failings, lessons, contacts, everything that you've made over the last 10 years. So that's what I started doing. I was like, great, we need to become, you know, how can we innovate and add more value and be more to the community? And we're in a very blessed time to be able to do it because the world has gone silent. So that's what I did. I turned around and said, right, how can we do this? So I reinvented our whole program. Um, I actually shut down locations and moved us and and shifted the way that we looked um, uh, at who we are and what we did and how we offered it. And then since I did that and got really clear on, um, you know, where we were going and now this business and this non-for-profit looks like what it was in my head, um, all these opportunities started coming at us. So very excitingly, um, you know, over the next few months, we'll be opening another uh, hospitality disability cafe with Gold Coast um, Health, which is tremendously exciting. Um, You know, I've I've started working with um, some other amazing human beings to look at tackling the homeless issues in southeast Queensland by building um, what we call hug homes. Mm -hmm. So we're really starting to get involved with some amazing projects and some amazing people 
to start shifting because for me it's all about holistic issues. You know, you, you can't get a homeless person a job if they don't have a home. No, so we need to start looking at how we can create communities and things to, to provide end-to-end support. So what we're looking at doing with Hug Homes is, is actually building a community that has, you know, everything in it, including a social enterprise, so people can start earning an income um, and then they go to work in our various outlets and, you know, give back because most of our programs, we make meals for the homeless. So we do over 40,000 meals this year. Uh, to give back to the community. So um, we're looking at this holistic strategy to be able to tackle these issues. And ever since my mindset changed and I just did the work, you know, I spent two days locked at home getting my mindset clear and understanding that, you know, I can't fix COVID, but what was happening was that I was being unmotivated and uninspired and all these things, but I can fix that. I can be inspired and I can be motivated. I can't fix COVID, but I can fix how I felt with it. So as soon as I started doing that, we just started attracting all the things that, you know, we wanted to be. And, you know, by hopefully the end of the year or start of next year, we're going to have a really cool concept about how to tackle issues on a really large scale. And all the people that need to help me with that are all around me. And um, I think we needed this time to be able to do that because, you know, the last few years you're just so busy working and, and working in the business and, you know, you know, duck on a pond. It was like, hold on, let's just chill out and let's let's build this. And since that, everything started happening. My goals for the next 20 years are being ticked off in six months. Crazy, isn't it? That we spend so long head down, arse up on the inside looking out and, like you said, working in our businesses. And the, the old, you know, it's an old adage that's easier said than actually executed, which is you shouldn't work in your business, you should work on your business. And you yeah. go, yeah, yeah, that's great, but how do I do that when I'm running around <laughs> like a blue-ass fly all day, every day, do you know? There's so, not enough hours oh, in the day. <laughs> no, I would completely agree with you that uh, taking time to take stock, um, remove any waste or excess that you've managed to accumulate over time, create some operational systematic efficiency, realign the operation to the core you know, values, the core, core vision and mission of the business, and challenge yourself to say, this is a new environment, this is a new world. What opportunities does it create for me? Because you said the words chaos into opportunity, but I was on a podcast, a property podcast, as, as actually as the guest a couple of weeks ago, and... I spoke about, and please don't quote me on this because Mandarin is definitely not my strong subject, but my belief is that in Mandarin, if you write the word crisis, it is represented by two symbols. But if you then isolate those two symbols individually, they both represent a word. So one represents the word danger. The other represents the word opportunity. If you put danger and opportunity together in Mandarin, you have the word crisis. So crisis is a dangerous opportunity but are you staring at the danger or the opportunity that's kind of how i'm viewing it and it was similar to another thing i'm i'm a man full of useless quotes but um another one that you sort of had said there which was that if i can't change my situation then i must change the person that i am within it and by that you're saying i can't solve covid19 but i can change how i choose to react to it. So if anybody is listening, and I know some people, because you send me messages on LinkedIn and whatnot, you say, Jack, you talk too fast. Um, I always have to rewind to rewrite down what you've said. But <laughs> keep do, do keep in your mind that idea that 
only 10% of your life is determined by what actually happens to you. The other 90% is determined by how you choose to react to that. Right. Thereafter. So um, I know I've only got, oh, I've actually already asked two more questions. Sure. Let me ask you just two more questions. So number one, um, purpose versus profit. Purpose versus <laughs> profit. What's your thoughts? Well, this is quite an interesting thing for me this year. And I think especially since winning the award last year, I have built everything off purpose. And, you know, I've always said that if you concentrate on the profit, it'll never come. But if you keep mm-hmm. working towards the purpose, it'll all happen. And I think that has got me through to where I am today. And, um, you know, sticking to our why and being congruent and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So you need to have your purpose in check. However, I did move to a new location um, a few months ago and we needed new ovens and we just don't have the money to do it. And, you know, I was talking to someone who um, runs a very successful business and, you know, I was having that, not, not argument, but that conversation about, you know, it's not about the money, it's about helping people people and he very clearly said to me but if you had the money you wouldn't worry about the ovens so this year is actually um throughout COVID as well we've decided to invest in a business coach to get me back on track to chase the chase the money because the more money we have the more people I can help and so for me that seesaw of that profit versus purpose has been quite significant focusing on my purpose has got me where I am today but it will not help me grow I have to start being a little bit more committed to the income and the money and growing financially because the more I do, the more I can help people. So that's been a really interesting mindset shift for me this year. Um, you know, so, yeah, that's where I sit with it currently. You need to have the purpose, but you also need to absolutely work out how you can turn that purpose into a profit. Yeah, I think it's it's full circle. So the purpose must be first. You must be a purpose-led business because I completely agree. If you start your business with the pure intention of I will make as many dollars as I can as quickly as I can, I almost assure you that that's a business that will fail. Absolutely. Whereas if it's purpose led to profit and profit reinvested in purpose, then you've got a beautiful circle, haven't you? Perfect. You know, but um, but ultimately it does lead back through. We have to make dollars and cents because a lot like you, I didn't take any government assistance. There was no handouts. There was no rebates. Nothing. I ran as a not for profit, putting about three and a half thousand people into work. But we quickly said, how do we turn three and a half thousand to thirty five thousand, or thirty five thousand to three and a half million globally? Like, how do we do these things? And we quickly realised the only way to do it was to to, to have a commercial component to our business that could fuel the not-for-profit. So for us, we started to offer private training. So we did, um, you know, skills-based training that privately could be purchased by businesses, individuals around the country. And then we would redirect the profit from our training back to our recruitment arm that could now assist a greater volume of people to get into work. Um, So yeah, completely understand, understand that. So then my final question would be, So anybody who's listening to this and thinking, wow, this woman's amazing. I love what she's trying to do. Um, I think the more good people that get behind her, the wind behind her sails, the faster her boat will, you know, will will reach the horizon. So if people wanted to volunteer, if they wanted to do fundraising, if they wanted to donate, if they wanted to partner with you, 
anything of that nature, how do they reach out to 6729 Bakery or Active Opportunities? How do they reach out to Amelia? How can they help? Um, easiest way is obviously social medias. Check out Active Opportunities or on Facebook or Instagram or contact me directly. Um, we're so welcome to new people and new ideas and new strategies and people to see what we do. Again, that's been a big learning curve for us. We've been so bad at, um, you know, underselling ourselves and and not getting our story out there. But um, I think now we're really starting to do that. So contact me directly or jump on our social medias and send us a message and then come and have a look at what we do. Come and support the kids that are in our program learning. Um, you know, employment is a big thing. If anyone has any jobs that they need filled and things like that, just contact us. It's a really cool strategy to help a business. Um, and at the same time, you're actually saving your life. Yeah, no, I absolutely love it. And I think if you keep that the core of everything, that ultimately some of these individuals are a bit down on their luck. They are low in their own self-esteem, self-confidence or self-worth, and they may not turn up for a day's work, even if that was a day's bloody uh, you know, experience, unpaid experience, an opportunity just to be back socially and professionally in the right environment, then yes, look, maybe it's not the right first impression that you'd want to make to a new customer, but I'm sure you've got some, you know, lower degree of difficulty tasks some some sorting work, filing work, you know, that you might just find is the first step towards rebuilding a human being and genuinely saving somebody's life. I know there's so many people listening to this that if I said right now, would you let somebody work in your business for one day unpaid because it would save a life? You'd say yes. But sometimes it's the action of putting yourself out to make that happen that is the most difficult part. It's not that we're bad people. It's not that we don't want to support. It's that we've actually got to put ourselves out to do it. Um, so I would ask you to join Amelia's mission, um, you know, join, join the good fight, join, um, you know, the idea that one day every single person in this country, which has a GDP of trillions of dollars, would have a roof that would be able to go over their head and would be able to have bread and water daily. You know, is that not the least that every human being in this country deserves? So, um, Amelia, I mean, I say this country, this world, right? There's enough in this world to make sure that people have nourishment. Uh, shelter and safety um, on the main part. So, um, Amelia, thank you. Talking to you is left, as I'm talking to you right now, all the hairs on my arms are standing up. Um, you are incredibly inspiring. Thank you for the work you've done to date, but also thank you in advance for the work you will continue to do for the betterment of the community here on the Gold Coast that I'm so proud to be a part of. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it. I, I, yeah, I really appreciate you guys and Business News Australia. It's been a, it's a wonderful experience being a part of you guys. Yeah, well, we look forward to uh, seeing who was going to try and take you off your perch this year. But um, I think <laughs> the great work, the great work you're doing, you may well be the first person in history in the four years that it's been going to be the back-to-back winner of the Social Entrepreneur of the Year. So um, I look forward to seeing your face at the awards in in just a you know a few weeks, couple of months' time. Um, but on behalf of everybody, um, thank you so much again for your time today, and we hope you have yourself the most uh, amazing end to your week. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. You too. Cheers, buddy. You take care, Amelia. All the best we have. Bye now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.